defying strike action to bring you this week's episode. Welcome to Hand of Pod. introductory joke really kind of wrote itself um, there are strikes across Buenos Aires but I at least have have braved the wrath of the uh, people from the, the confederation the, the general confederation of workers who live just around uh, live have their offices just around the corner from where I live to, to get over here to the other side of town and we are recording episode 86 of Hand of Pod the first episode of the third year of this podcast's existence um, I'm Sam Kelly as I normally am and we're here in Sebastián Garcia's office Hello, 86, good number for Argentine football Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Hand of Pod rather than oh, Hand of God rather than Hand of Pod Indeed uh, was in 86 Hello everyone Trust, trust the Argentines to remember that that's, that's what we have you on so. um, and we're also joined by Joel Richards as usual hello there yeah I think it's very brave of you to make it out because I mean apparently the, the, the unions were beating people and, and uh, so it got pretty heavy handed out there for people not obeying the the, uh, the strike which is nationwide it's not just in, in Buenos no, Aires right, yeah. obviously living in Buenos Aires it sometimes feels as if the world only happens uh, you know, up until the general pass yeah, yeah, yeah. to the, the border with Avashanera but uh, but it's nationwide but, um, but yeah very brave of you Sam yeah. uh, fortunately it's time so that it, as long as we don't run for four hours I'll be able to get the subte home again um, but the bus that takes me back to San Telmo is running whether or not the driver is able to get there without being as you say, beaten right. up is another matter, which we'll have to see. I'll find out later. Um, uh, also, 86 is uh, Rolando Schiavi's age, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe next year. He's so playing more and more. Enough of numerology. <laughs> Uh, we have uh, sort of one and a half rounds to update people on, but we're not going to concern ourselves too much with the second half of last round, partly because a lot of the kind of form that teams showed has been echoed in this weekend just gone, so we'll mention those uh, results from last, the, the end bit of last Wednesday and then last Thursday as we discuss the same team's results over the weekend. <coughs> Excuse me. Gentlemen, did either of you get settled? I know the answer for this for you already. Joel, did you get to any matches this weekend? Um, I went to River Argentinos yesterday. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, no, I'm dreadful. Just uh, absolutely dire. Um, I mean, it's. You're developing an unhappy habit of picking the goalless draws and the really poor matches this season. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, if, if, yeah, if I was Argentine, someone would probably say that you're a yeah. or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. Um, yeah, no, just, but I mean, to be honest, that, that's not, uh, it's nothing to do with anyone else other than River Plate. They're just very, very poor at the moment. Nil-nil. What, what do you mean, nil-nil? I think Keiko Villalba is still celebrating. He, 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 yeah. <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> it was comedy. It's been, it's been all of on Twitter everyone's been talking about either the strike or Keiko Villalba still, <laughs> just, just still tell, celebrating. Give me a bit of detail on what happened because I went to the match before uh, that one which, which we'll discuss in a short while no doubt Seller will be more than happy to um, and I missed the whole of the River match as a result I was on my way home we had a severe delay getting out of the stadium 
A blessing, a blessing, some might say. Um, I didn't really catch too much of the Keiko. No, I did. Because yeah. obviously hmm. in person. But um, but yeah, Vanny just uh, he was just celebrating it oh, for yes. hours. Oh. Yeah, sucking <laughs> <laughs> his that. thumb and everything. Yeah, it was comedy stuff. But it was a it was a cross. Uh, we don't. I don't know uh, who was that cross aimed to because there were three real players, uh, real players inside the the area, and one of them actually tries uh, tries a, a diving header and he knows he's not gonna get there, so he, he tries to use both hands, but he misses. So the ball then uh, falls to Rogelio Funes Mori and he doesn't miss because he really touches. He he clearly touches the ball with the with his hand. And by that, uh, by doing that, he lays the ball right in front of Keiko Villalba, who scores. And then he goes to celebrate. And, and I live near uh, River Plate Stadium now, and, and, and I could hear the noise f coming from the stadium. And I actually got a bit scared because you know the neighbors and they were all celebrating. So it wasn't just Villalba who <laughs> was celebrating for ages. But the the, the replay uh, showed uh, the linesman who already had. Uh, uh, told the referee that it wasn't it was a handball and they showed the, the replay of the action and everything and and Keiko Villalba was still celebrating <laughs> and as I said sucking his thumb and everything so yeah he was coming and he was the last minute of the last minute of the match so the we 90th um, minute yeah me and my guests at Racing had just got in a taxi on the way back when that goal went in and the driver was listening to the game on the um, on the radio the second it went in he started going absolutely crazy and I was like you're a real fan then he didn't even answer me he was still sort of yelling his head off and beeping his car horn and everything and then after about two minutes the radio commentators realised that it's been disallowed I mean it took them that long as well and we're going no no wait it, it doesn't count and the driver's face just fell I mean obviously I was celebrating as well it wasn't you know I wasn't exactly laughing at him um, when, when this news came through but it was uh, interesting interesting yeah, experience yeah, uh, yeah but I mean very uh, hostile atmosphere and I mean the game was called off for, uh, for a few minutes as, um, as the, the supporters were singing the, you know, the racist chants about, about Boca but, um, but, but in particular I mean Gabriel Funes-Mori was uh, was given so much abuse because I mean I, I, was, I was in the Belgrano which was on the side of where he was in the first half particularly um, and he, you know he's, he's put out on the left wing I mean it's just not his position I mean if you're going to play him then at least put him in the middle as a number nine as a target man you know both Luna to a lesser extent but Mora to a much greater extent of better mobility um, and the kids just getting absolutely caned by by fifty thousand supporters, and it's just it's just no good for him. But um, but yeah, very poor from River. Argentinos were pretty solid. I mean, they had a couple of good chances actually. They could have they could have taken something, but um, but not a good game at all. And we've discussed. I mean, we should probably mention because there's always transfer talk about him. Uh, Gabriel, don't call me Rogelio Funes Mori, who's actually listed here by Ole as Rogelio Funes Mori as well. Yeah, but they're wrong. We've talked. I know. We've been I know, I know. Um, but, but we have. We discussed during the first sort of year and a bit of Handapod's existence how how crap he was basically, and then we softened to it. You know, you know, I, I started sort of realizing that in fact he was. I've never been there. He was very good for River all of last season. He was not River's worst defender in the season that they got relegated as well I mean he wasn't particularly world beating for them obviously but he, he was he was far from the, the worst player that they had then um, and yeah he's, he's not going to score loads of goals but he works hard for the team and he, he does a good job Maxi, apart from that Maxi Lopez, Lopez can, can, uh, can have the career that he did you know it's, there's no that's because he's got a good agent well as you may have and, read on Twitter he was, yeah. and he was man of the match in a super classical 
Mm. Yeah, of course, that, that always helps. Now, um, now Funes Mori, the, the club said this last week, it came out today, uh, he's the player that's been most, had the most amount of interest from European clubs for the last two years, mm. uh, more than, way more than Ocampos had or, or Sirigliano or, or anyone else. In spite of our best efforts. <laughs> In spite of your best efforts. No, he's, he's a player who's, if he gets a good coach, someone who knows how to help him out, because I think he, he's, he gets very nervous, um, he, he rushes things. Uh, but he's uh, he he could do a good job I think in Europe definitely as I said he needs to get he needs to go to the yeah, right yeah. club where he gets minutes mm. with a good coach who can help him. But he he has put in a lot of muscle. You, you can see if you see a picture right. of him two seasons ago and and you compare it to one today, he's really looking very strong now. But he needs to he needs to improve in front of goal. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But he, he will come with time, you know. I, I remember and, <laughs> and again people will tell that I'm I have a one track mind. But I remember Diego Milito wasn't that good when he was playing for Racing and he was a lot skinnier and, and he wasn't as sharp in front of goal as, as he then uh, started developing. So, you know, it's something that can happen. But Jesus uh, as well. Yeah, but Jesus was, was, started was terrible. This guy's going nowhere. No, no, he was terrible. Yeah, terrible, really. Yeah. And, and in fact, he, he was uh, he was thrown out of River. He was out yeah. of River first, and he didn't they didn't keep him on. He went when River were were good. Yeah. When they were, when they were good. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Such a long time ago now. Um, the the round that we've just finished, uh, we record as as usual. We're recording on Tuesday, and the round finished on Monday evening. Um, so the round that just finished yesterday saw not only River and Argentinos dropping points, uh, but several other sides as well. So I'm kind of wondering where to start. But I think we we have to start really with uh, the fact that Newell's Old Boys were defeated for the first time this season, uh, 2-1 at home to All Boys. Um, that's a different team. By it's the, way. the boys, there is there. The, indeed, the the classical boy <laughs> sense. Um, <laughs> and Vélez Sarsfield were also beaten at home. That's <laughs> terrible. N- nothing else. That's to do. terrible. Just, that's terrible. <laughs> just just going on with ridiculous, non-existent Spanish names for things. Um, and Vélez Sarsfield were also beaten at home one 0 by Boca Juniors, which meant that those those going into the round were the, the two top sides. Um, and yesterday afternoon, of course, Lanús, there was another home loss. Um, Lanús beat Belgrano 2-0 in Córdoba, um, although that game was actually 0-0 for over 90 minutes. Lanús scored about 30 seconds in and about 4 or 5 minutes into stoppage time, from what I heard. I missed the end. Yeah, it was nine, 94 minutes and 20... I, I made it 27 seconds. Some people say right. 24. I mean, it's neither here nor there. It was, it was fast. But... Um, uh, Major point here is everyone's got news. It's, it's kind of been swept, it's been overlooked, ignored, or whatever. But um, but Maxi Rodriguez and Gabriel Heinz both, oh, yeah. both got three week injuries. And Lucas Bernardi as well. Oh, three three weeks oh. left. They're yeah. Yeah. Room, they're no, no, they're, they're out. Yeah. As well. yeah, so they're out for the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, Newell's all boys. Three substitutions were made by each side. All three of them due to on both mm. teams due to injury, and then all boys had had another player injured. Kind of quite late on. I think they finished the match with ten men because they had to to withdraw him. Um, has that ever happened before? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Can anybody remember an, an incident of it? If you're a handpod listener and you can't, then then get in touch. But it's it's very rare, I would think. But and, and it, the other thing is that that result really is, I guess, one of the most eye-catching. Of course, Newell's finally have lost after arguably having drawn too many matches. Much like Racing did, I guess, last season, mm-hmm. where, where you went mm-hmm. a very long way last uh, under Simeone, but just drew far too many games to be in title contention, even though you finished second. Um, it, it sort of puts the cap on Newell's slide, doesn't it? We have a couple of listener questions a little later on why that why that's happened. But what is going on with Newell's? Is it the tempo, as Jonathan Wilson suggested, a couple of 
a couple of weeks ago. Don't argue the Wilson. Style of play. <laughs> don't argue. Don't argue the Wilson. No, it's, it's a good point. He's you know, and obviously in in the. And in the lineage, if you like, of Bielsa's tactics and style, then it's exactly what happened with Bielsa's Athletic last season when they reached mm-hmm. the finals and, and ran out of steam. So, I mean, that, that's a pretty good call. Um, but, and this is something that you know, the critics have been saying from the very start, they were never scoring lots of goals. Mm-hmm. Only Skoko was scoring goals. No one else was contributing. So it was always going to be a problem when they... Yeah. Um, if a bit of bad luck or one Skoko has a, has a day off and, you know... Um, and, and that's really what happened. I think, you know, it's... it's, it's I think yeah. we mustn't forget as well lose sight of the fact that uh, before Martina arrived at, at Newell's I mean they were going down yeah I mean in real Constantly. bad bad yeah. shape so and he didn't bring any a lot of players exactly no money and yeah. he brought two or three players yeah. in no you're right and uh, so that's a really good point because it, I think it speaks so highly yeah. of Martino as a coach but, but also to be a bit more realistic mm-hmm. you know, and suddenly you know the romanticism of, of you know the Bielsa disciple who's mm-hmm. going to win the title after 30 years 20 years at, at, in Rosario in keeping keep with the Bielsa disciple to come close but not actually well that's true that's very true that's very true but yeah, and Bielsa did win it so yeah, mm. and and also the fact that they have so many youngsters could be a factor as well because when when the going gets tough, it happens. It happened to them in the previous tournament because they were really good until the end, and then the, the final few weeks they kind of uh, were unable to to reproduce the same form they were uh, having before, um, and that and also the fact that they. They had a tough uh, few uh, matches uh, lately with playing at Racing, playing against Boca as well. So, you know, that also has a has an effect because, uh, you know, you're playing better teams. Not, it's, I don't think you can say the same about all boys, but it's, it's not a team that you you are expected to just win in by, by just turning turning up you know they can beat you they yeah. on their day they yeah. can beat you it's not like they're desperate like Union for example and we just can't seem to beat anyone and anyone. we discussed a week or two ago about how Boca were going to have a say in this title race because they had to play both Newell's and Meles and now Meles' next match is it's all boys yeah um, so that's you know all boys as well they're going to have a say in the title race as indeed are uh, potentially Union um, because uh, Racing's final match of the season and Racing are now only three points off the lead thanks to uh, Vélez copying up of course the, the results we've already mentioned lead Vélez and Lanús uh, both joint top on 32 points with uh, is it Racing, Newells and I'm trying to remember without checking the table but it's Racing, Newells and somebody else on 29 isn't it go on seven um, and Union are at home to the Racing on the last day of the season so surely for any club apart from Racing that would be a nailed on three points the way Union are playing now right? Yeah absolutely mm-hmm. if, 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 Racing go in, if Racing go into that last round two points clear somehow I'm not sure I'll put money on them to win the title but anybody else in that situation Well no 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 I mean yeah I mean, I'll do I'll, I'll, I'll put money on them because that will mean that they will be they will be Boca in the, in the process they will beat all boys in the process that will make four wins in a trot and beating beating Union will be the last hurdle and, and you know I for one will put money on Racing even even if I've been a Racing fan for 35 years even though it would be the most Racing thing they could possibly do yeah. to cock up with no but Union Union they're, they're diabolic well, I was, was going to say they're, they're historically they're, I think they're, they're reaching historically uh, yeah. Poor record, yeah. negative yeah. records for, they, for most games without. Yeah, they're, they're almost as bad as QPR. If, if Union <laughs> lose these last three rounds, they're going to level Nueva Chicago's 2005 Clausura record of five draws, 
14 defeats and not a single win in a short tournament Mm. short championship Um, the result that we're talking about of course that brings Racing to within three is an incredibly impressive performance Uh, last night in a match that I was at so I think uh, if Joel chose the the wrong match to go to this weekend I certainly chose the right one Um, they thrashed Kilmes 4-0 I thought Kilmes were actually Kind of looking like they were on top 15 20 minutes, and then Racing's got the bar. On they hit they the just, bar from yeah. really close range. They did. Um, and Racing's got the first goal went in, and just they completely collapsed. Um, I told my guests who were at the match with me to look out for, for Ricky Centurion and for Luis Farina and for Luciano Vieto. Uh, Vieto didn't score, but he did have a fine game. Farina scored twice, Centurion scored the opener. Um, Seba, you were watching on TV. Yeah. yeah. You're the Racing fan. Yeah. What did you make of it? I'm surprised. <laughs> no, but you know, I'm. First of all, you, you can say all you want about uh, the goals uh, Racing scored, like they they scored four. But you know, to me, the the most surprising thing is that is the team with fewer uh, fewest goals against in the in the whole tournament. It was news until recently, but now it's Racing with only seven goals conceded. So. You know, it goes to show that Subeldia is building the team from from the goalkeeper towards the well, how, how do you say arma el equipo desde atrás from the back yeah <clears throat> so I think that solidity is is um, giving the youngsters up up front the the liberty to show what they can do and and the fact that Subeldia seems to finally have realized that he needs to play the three youngsters uh, Centurion, Farinha and Vieto is certainly paying off they play a great game against Godoy Cruz the, the previous round they win 1-0 one they won 1 uh, one or 2-0 don't remember now I think it was no 1-0 one 1-0 one yeah. yeah and and now they beat Kilmes helping Independiente in the process uh, in the relegation battle but that didn't matter to any any of Racing fans. And well, the, the Racing fans at the stadium were having a fantastic time singing about the fact that both Quilmes and Independiente were going to be relegated. It, yeah. was, uh, it was a very good atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, amazing stat from your data football Arg, Argentina people, friends, which is that between going on what you were saying about the youngsters having the liberty to, to go forward and everything, between Farinha, Centurion and Vieto they scored uh, half of Racing's goals this mm. season between the three of them <laughs> and, and actually just looking at your lay website I've just noticed that the Ricky Centurion's got a, a name issue as well yeah Adrian Adrian Ricardo Centurion uh, and apparently the Italian newspapers were calling him that as well because I had a tweet last week from Jack I've forgotten his surname Jack Rathbone <laughs> who, uh, who um, works on, on Serie A uh, he was over here a few months ago and met up with a few of us um, and he was asking me he, you know, he said a few Italian clubs have been linked with this kid Adrian Centurion and I said no you mean, you mean Ricardo Centurion hmm. um, but yeah he, he might well have a naming issue as well yeah. the, the name that's just left out of me by the way is the one of Kilmes subs yesterday is called Sergio Hippodinger which is a Hippodinger. magnificent surname look at that wow. H-I-P-P-E-R-D-I-N-G-E-R fantastic um, so if you want a name to watch from Handapod this week, that, that's that's the one. Sergio Hippelinger. I cannot tell you anything about him because the hippo. Uh, it says here that he got off the bench with 20 minutes to play, but I can't really remember. And he was playing for a team who were already three uh, 0 down by the time he came on. Um, but there's your, your name name of the week at least, I suppose. Is um is is the cilindro presidente Perón? It's not general Perón. It's presidente Perón is the name. Yeah. 
controversial. Yeah. Peron was many, many things. Well, it was, many, yeah. so many people. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I can't help myself. <laughs> um, we need to, to mention, we've already mentioned Lanus' result, but we, we should also just quickly mention it's the first time in Lanus' history that they've won seven matches in a row. Is that in the Primera Seb or in any division? You're probably more likely to know. No, I haven't I heard think, of that. I make it levelling Cabrero's record. Uh huh, okay. Maybe, really? maybe it's been. Okay. If it's in all competitions, then could Cabrera's record have included a Libertad like have a Libertad? Well, I'm fairly sure it goes back to the 2007. For, for new listeners yeah. or for listeners who aren't as familiar with with Argentine football in the pre-Hander Pod era, Cabrera is the uh, the man who was who was managing Lanús in 2007 when they took their only previous league title. With Rubén Díaz an assistant coach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a brilliant. If you read Spanish, there's a great interview with uh, Ramón Cabrera in Nos Digital. I don't know, .com, .com, something like that. I, I can't remember, but just Google Nos Digital. Uh, really good, really good magazine, um, on, online magazine. And, That's and NOS, NOS Digital. Digital, yeah. yes. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, and it's, uh, <laughs> and it's, um, they, they do loads of really, really good, really good interviews. And Cabrera's the latest one, and uh, mm. really interesting. Really uh, we've also had other results away from the title race. Um, Union lost again to Colón, of course, 2-0. Uh, the derby, the Santa Fe derby. Yep. There was there was uh, violence there. There was controversy because the the match was stopped because of uh, crowd trouble for coming from the. Uh, well, the match first end. of all almost didn't start because of crowd trouble. Uh-huh, um, yeah. Kicked off what nine minutes late due to Union. Are we going to say fans or Barras? Because it's kind of unclear whether it was just the Barra, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's fans. Tough to get draw a line, yeah. Fans in this one. yeah. Um, but in any case, climbing, well, breaking through the fence um, that was supposed to be held in Minsky away. Not the first time there's been away trouble this season at a Colón home match either, because it was either Belgrano or Newell's when they played there. That was. I a, think it was Belgrano, yeah. Yeah, had to end mm. about three minutes early. Mm. Um, and yeah, continued ugly scenes throughout the match. Really, it had to be held up what three or four times in the second half. Yeah. I was astonished that it finished. The referee just kept on saying. So, taking 10 minutes out and then saying yeah we'll play on um, I was really staggered when it, it continued to go ahead but uh, fantastic match on the pitch which is a real shame yeah, yeah it was makes it a real shame what was going on in the stands because on, on the pitch it was it was magnificent entertainment especially by the stands of the Argentine League but I think mm. even in, in you know no it's getting yeah, better it leagues um, another, another derby match another red card for <laughs> that's what he does yeah. that and nine, being unable to control the ball any ball he, yeah. it's just he represents what I don't like about modern football it's the fact that if you are able he, to he's the epitome of, of mala leche no no really? no. I, I'm, not a, I'm not aiming to, towards that he is he represents the, this idea of um, a player that just because he, he's able to to run like crazy for 90 minutes, minutes, he makes it to the first division without even without having the fundamentals of the game, without having you know, the ability to control the ball, the ability to pass it around, which he learned. To be fair. So what you're saying is he's really a kind of Premier League star player. In a way, it could be. Yeah, it could be comparable. You know, you know, uh, the youth uh, coaches prioritizing results uh, mm. ahead of uh, you know. The, the, the ability of to play you know talent 
is irrelevant. You just need to run like crazy for 90 minutes. And that's something that really had a, a huge impact in, in our modern game, I think. I'm half and joking, of course, when I compare it to a Premier League player, but the, these are the exact um, yeah, complaints yeah. that a lot of young um, you know, managers of English uh, uh, youth teams complain at what's being hammered into them. Too much competitiveness, not enough focus on yeah. technique and so on. So it's kind of interesting to hear these same complaints coming from, yeah. from an Argentine, admittedly not about the entire league. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, we're not trying to say that the Argentine league is, is better standard of football than the English Premier League. Mm. Um, but it's yeah. interesting to Yeah, people to expect... This, yeah, and, and you know, other countries as well. And then one of the things that makes me think... I'm probably the one who's wrong here because you know, uh, the majority of fans, like if you if you ask any Racing fan, they they would love Bastia. He played there for ages, and I remember him getting a red card in every derby and getting applauded off the field because you know he represented the fan. You know the kind of uh, never say die attitude, which I think is is a good uh, skill to have or or good uh, part of the of any players. Uh, Arsenal, but at the same time, you know, he has to go hand in hand with some kind of talent. Some yeah, exactly. It's, it's one thing. It's discipline as well. Yeah, it was not just good enough just just running around the place and flying in with two feet and getting sent off in a derby just because it's a derby and all the fans saying we're, we're, we're <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not enough. But yeah. it's it's one thing having this particular link with the fans and that kind of behavior or whatever. If you're Martin Palermo or, or uh, Matias Almeida, let's say, yeah. like super classical as a player or whatever, but it's it's another thing entirely when you're, when you're Andrea Bastia. Yeah. Um, yeah. Union had a man sent off as well, uh, so both teams finished that game with, with 10 men. Probably should just do the uh, Muni, Lucas Muni watch. Absolutely. scored a nice goal. Yeah. Uh, I saw him singing one of the songs in the, in the mix zone um, on, on They Say the channel. Yeah. One of those sports channels here. Um, afterwards, I mean, massive Cologne fan, but he's he's I think we've mentioned him before, haven't we? But he's a player who's definitely got a, a European future. Um, in if not in January, then almost definitely. Called up by Sabella as well. I was kind of uh, yeah, called yeah. up by Sabella now to face Brazil in the domestic for Wednesday nights. Uh, yeah. Argentina Z versus Brazil B. Um, international friendly. Um, I was kind of struck as well. I haven't really noticed it before, but his post-match interview. On Saturday after the Clásico, how he he could have a sort of Javier Pastore style European future ahead of him as well, because he's a good-looking chap, <laughs> very clean-shaven by Argentine standards and sort of baby-faced. Yeah. No, he's, um, he's he's one of the players I really look forward to yeah. watching every yeah. time there's a, a match on TV. He's really impressive. He's got that. Um, you know, he's a good player as soon as you see him walk. Mm. Not even he doesn't even have to run, uh, and. Uh, and as as, as 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 soon as you see him you know, moving, uh, you know he's a good player. You, you know, at least he has the looks of a good player, and he's providing he's uh, he's showing the, the the goods as well. You know he's he's delivering the goods for yeah. for Cologne. One of the other watches that we're having on hand upon this season, of course, we've just mentioned that Union is still without a win. Um, is uh, we're trying to count up the number of times that Tigre have been incredibly unlucky not to, to win possibly even deserved to win and failed they are also still without a win uh, despite having come down back from 2-0 down at half time to San Martín de San Juan hey, they were lucky. about a minute and a half or something in yeah. the second half but I, I didn't catch a lot of that second half because it was yeah. played at the same time as, as a couple of the other matches uh, but from what I heard afterwards Diego Morales was just 
superb in the second half, mm. uh, uh, and they got a two-two draw. I tell end. you what, Tigre were lucky against Racing. They scored. They equalized with three minutes to go. They should have got beat, get beaten by three or four goals. They should have had a couple of players apart, as sent we, off. As we no, 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 seriously. Yeah. At the time, apart from the fact that Racing's goal shouldn't have been allowed either. Which one? The, the one with the hand oh, ball yeah, at the yeah, edge yeah. of the box before he took it down. Yeah. Um, You're right. Yeah, that's that's correct as well. But certainly, we, we spent at least the first half of this yeah. torneo in ECL constantly saying so. Tigre failed to win again somehow because again they were the better <laughs> yeah. team. And it's just it's getting ridiculous now. But they, ha- have you mentioned Thursday night they have the first leg of exactly. the Sudamericana semi-final, the first continental semi-final in their history, and just reaching that has meant that they're in the Copa Libertadores next season as well, of course, because they're the last Argentine club in the Sudamericana and the AFA. Despite being below mid-table in yeah. the annual table, it's um, yeah. really quite just bizarre, isn't it? The is that is that an Alpha thing or is that um, a Commonwealth? I think they're no, starting. They, they're example. starting to do yeah. to do it in in other countries. Yeah, I, this, well, this I is what I mean. I, I think wonder, Brazil. I wonder whether it's uh, yeah. because it's a way because the whole thing is a sort of it's a very young competition and it doesn't have the same obviously importance as Libertadores and never will do, but. From what I understood, is there's, I don't know if it's a sense in which they're trying to make it more important. So giving teams this incentive to do well in the Sudamericana, get into Libertadores. Mm. Yeah, it's the same that they're trying with the Copa Argentina. Now the Copa Argentina yeah. champion will go to the Libertadores, Perfect. whereas before it was uh, going FA to. Cup, the FA Cup should have done that yeah. as well for Champions League spot. Yeah. Um, the Libertadores qualification we might as well mention partly because Seb has just brought up the, the table for me I didn't realise that, that we had it um, eh, at the moment Venice and Newell's at, at top of the, the year long table with Boca Juniors third Arsenal de Sarandí as the Torneo Clausura champions have already qualified Tigre of course as we just mentioned have already qualified uh, there's one spot uh, otherwise isn't there Venice and Newell's haven't yet definitely qualified we should just clarify but they probably will um, the other the other spot remaining is what the the champion the champion the of, the, champion. of the Inicial okay so if that's won say by by Venice or by Newell's then, then Boca will automatically yeah. in third okay excellent um, any other results from, from the weekend Independiente well, Independiente, Independiente yeah. have had a bad week since we recorded which is a huge huge story we haven't touched on it with Sandra Linson there is yeah. wow we're going to be touching on it in, in a short minute I'm going to go get some ice Joe, okay. if you want All right. um, turn on the I'm going to leave you to yeah please <laughs> I'm going to leave you to, to uh, whilst I'm nipping the what three metres to the fridge um, to just update our listeners on, on what's happened with Independiente since the last podcast where anybody listening would have heard us discussing uh, what went on that match didn't finish go yeah and now um, the president Cantero which I think I speak on behalf of everyone we, we all admire he's the only one who's openly um, battling against the Barra Bravas which is the second worst thing that happens to Argentine football after the man who's called Julio Humberto Grondona, that's the first of the problems that we have in Argentina since 78. He has been killing Argentine football since 78, you know, uh, gradually, systematically, and uh, without, without stopping for, for a moment. He's been, uh, you know, the worst thing that happened to Argentine football. Yeah, so I can so safely say. Even worse than. No, it's an introduction. It's an introduction. He was he was also president uh, president of Independiente before he was president of uh, the AFA, the AFA. And uh, well, now 
it is still unclear and still not official but apparently the match will be resumed will be played again uh, not played again but it will be continued uh, you know the 45 minutes the, the 45 remaining minutes and it's a it's a problem for Belgrano because they have to travel again they have to go back to Avellaneda for another 45 minutes and if they win that if they continue winning that that one uh, they still they still in with a shout to be champions they will be they, level with Racing and uh, Newell's won't they yeah there will be only there. three points behind uh, the two leaders Brilliant. so um, yeah, that's what that, what's what's going on and they're one and up aren't they in the game hmm? they were one and up yeah. yeah. in, in any other situation or country or I don't know Confederation, whatever, that match would have been abandoned, and you know the points would have gone to Belgrano. They were leading. It was the home fans who in, in created a, lot, a problem. In a lot of other situations, it would have been abandoned here as well. Very similar situations in the last few years, when the the losing team fans, of course, the problems have seen the match called off and yeah. the results yeah. stand. Which is why I was so surprised that Colonel Union continued, for instance, at, at the weekend. Yeah, but it, that was that wasn't abandoned per se. It was just momentarily stopped and then players were still on the pitch and they, they just continue. This one, they just went home. Uh, they couldn't play the second half. And, you know, it, it reminds me of two episodes, one involving Independiente and one involving Racing, and it's comparable. You know, and the one involving Independiente is when they won the Copa Sudamericana in 2010, and I think it was quarterfinals or round of 16 or whatever. The goalkeeper for an Uruguayan team, which I think was Defensor, I haven't checked, but I think it was Defensor, the uh, Montevideo, the Uruguay. Yeah. 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 He got a, a, a stone thrown at the in in the head. On yeah, on, yeah. on in at. <laughs> yeah, and he got cut. He, he was blood coming from from his head. The doctors gave him treatment, and the referee allow allow it to continue. Not only that, they didn't. Um, they didn't take measures against Independiente afterwards like you're not allowed to play I think it was only for one match they were not allowed they ended up winning the Copa Sudamericana but it wasn't and that's bizarre because if that happens at Boca Juniors Stadium Boca Juniors go in trouble for it at a continental level so for Independiente not to have yeah. something happen to them is you know seriously yeah there is um, the match should have been stopped. I mean, in that moment, you know, it's, it was blood coming from from the head of the goalkeeper. I mean, he, yeah, he, yeah. and the guy was honest enough to say, "Okay, treat me, and I will continue playing." Mm. In any other situation, of if of if or if Bilardo was the coach, he would have told him, "Listen, you're not you're not getting up. You know, you're not continue, You're not going to continue play. We're going to stop here. We're going we're going home, and we're we're through. Yeah, we're through." And then the other episode that this reminded me of was the season, uh, it was 88-89, I was 11, and I have never, I've never seen Racing champions in my life, and that was a proper good team, Racing had. And the last round of the first half of the season, Racing were at home against Boca, and it was, in, it was nil-nil. And everything we, pointed. I'm just going to clarify, sorry, sir, because you said the first half of the season that in the season you're talking. Oh, about, it was a so full, it was a yeah. proper championship. It yeah. wasn't the short championships we have now. Long season. So this yeah. isn't a match to decide the title. No, no. Otherwise, Racing would have been champions anyway. No, seriously, right. like, oh, they, right, okay. because they were like five points clear or something mm-hmm. like that. And before the start of the second half, Navarro Montoya was Boca's keeper. He was 
getting ready. It was the same, exactly the same situation as Belgrano Independiente. A bomb exploded near Navarro Montoya and he 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 didn't continue playing. And then Juan Simón, who played for Argentina in uh, Italia 90, Italy 90, it was a defender for Boca. He was going there to help him and, and he got hit with a battery or with something around the near the eye and he got blood as well. So the match was abandoned, rightly so. And then Racing got like I don't know how many points deducted and Independiente ended up winning that league. Uh, it's, uh, and you know if it's the same thing happening, like, pretty much the same thing. You know, Racing ne- that that match, Racing Boca never got replayed or continued. And Racing got points deducted. And why uh, have we gone backwards in this? You know, and in '88 we were punishing crowds for and, and clubs for uh, travels caused well, by, by home happens. fans. I mean, I mean, River had to play five matches away from the Monumental for mm. the, the disturbances when they were relegated, even though there was a possibility of being 20 matches. Um, but I mean, what I would add to this is obviously there's, there's no coherence here, there's not a, a line from the, F, from the FA to what happens in these kind of circumstances. But beyond that as well, there is the situation at Independiente, which is where Cantero yeah. is gravely taking on the Barabravas, he's refusing them money. You know, he himself has said, has, has made public how much money they were taking from the club. It's in the region of $40,000 a month that these, that these inverted commas, uh, supporters were taking from the club. So he's taking them on. And, and what they did is that those supporters now on, on a blacklist, they're not allowed into the stadium. Um, they got in touch with the San Telmo Barabrava, which is very nearby, who then in turn... San set, Telmo set, is, a, is a club from the lower divisions. Uh, yeah. It's in... It's in uh, C, I think. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's not far from Avellaneda. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're, they're grounds on, they're, they're between home, San yeah. Telmo and the, yeah. obviously the area itself and, and Avellaneda. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's a local area. The point is that they sent 14 and 15 year olds in to throw, uh, to launch these, you know, projectiles at, at the at the at the field of play. Explosives, um, yeah, they, they, uh, explosives, exactly. Um, I mean, firecrackers and and whatnot. Um, but the point is, you know, they did it so that these kids could, couldn't be then taken down to the <laughs> to the cop shop, couldn't be tried. Um, you know, so I mean, it's just a, a level of cynicism of how to play this this issue, which is all about money. It's not about anything else. It's not about the colour of the shirt. It's not about supporting a club. It's about money. No, totally. And and as I said, you know, so the Independiente Barra co-opt the Santelmo Barra to then co-opt kids, to then go and throw crack at, uh, firecrackers at, at, at yeah. football players. At Tolo Gallego, who's a legend at Independiente, a World Cup winner for Argentina. You know, everything you want, um, and it's. You know, so on the one hand, there's what should happen institutionally to Independiente for this one match, and on the other, it's just this situation which is spiring out of control for, in term, with a battle brava at Independiente. And what you said as well about how it's not about fandom, it's about money, uh, reminded me of um, a, a Spanish um, TV journalist who came down here last year or the year before and made a documentary on the battle bravas, which is available on YouTube. Um, I can't remember his name. John Cistiera. Thank you very much, yeah. Um, Interesting documentary, and uh, partly you remind <coughs> me because it involves the San Telmo. Yeah, well. Richard. The, the interviews with mm-hmm. Richard. Yeah, the, the San Telmo. Um, the, the sort of capo. I yeah, guess, capo. Of the San Telmo Barra, and and this guy says to uh, to Sistiaga, um at one point, look, it, it's about money. There, there are people I, I know a guy who three years ago was a river barra brother, now he's a boca barra. 
because Ladosse offered him more money than the Los Barrachos were offering him. So we have a transfer market now for Barras? <laughs> you know, um, it, it's is it a deadline people, day or something? Yeah, you know, whenever people come here or, or from abroad or whatever and, and, and tell you, oh no, they, these fans are the reason that the atmosphere is so good and they're just, they're just more passionate fans. No, they're not. We, we said this many, many times. It's a fine line because they are, because it's, it's very few places in the world where you get an entire stadium, say, a brass singing. Oh, they are. Okay. Yeah. You will have it without. people all singing. You will have it without. Yeah. You will have it without them. But, but it's true that in many, many clubs, and most clubs probably, uh, they they orchestrate what's sung. They, they dictate play, if you like, in the stands. Yeah, because the, that's that's interesting because I think the, the, the guys or the people who create the atmosphere are actually Organized fans, but not violent. And I can speak for what I know from Racing, right? For for not being, not just being a fan and being on that uh, tribuna for years and years and years. But also then, I worked as a producer for Racing TV, and you know you get to meet fans and not Barras. I never, I never want to get anywhere anywhere near them. But you know, you, you get to know about organized. Uh, groups of groups of uh, fans who will just get money, put money together to buy, you know, the ticker tapes and yeah. to these, to these do the banners. People, and these are the people, for instance, the English Dan when he's on is is talking about when he mentions the Comisión del Incha, yeah, exactly, who, yeah, who come up with the away mm-hmm. ticket transport and, and things like that. Yeah, and they also, you know, whenever there is a clásico, they get together a couple of weeks in advance, and they they even organize concerts or raffles or stuff like that to raise money in order to be able to buy you know the the, the bengalas you know the flares. the flares but no not the, the smoke flares not the ones with fire and you yeah. know the, all these things that uh, help create a better atmosphere and the barras are just there for different different things and now well we saw when i was uh, a little kid growing up you know the this mutation from um chains, sticks and alcohol to drugs and fire guns and that's actually, that's actually what ended up happening because back then it was just the Boca gang fighting the Racing gang and you know they were uh, they will, there will be meeting points and they will go at it and they will fight uh, a barra against a barra and, and, but now it's just Two factions of the same barra fighting for powers. They they don't care. Boca Boca hooligans. They don't care about river hooligans. They don't go and fight them. It might happen. It could happen. Uh, but what they really want and they're really interested in is fighting the other sections of the own barra brava. Or you know, yeah, there could be two the different gangs. They're civil wars rather than wars. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so that that's what makes things. It, uh, harder to control by the police because you know you have uh, one tribune or one place to put all the away fans and they fight they fight uh, yeah. among the, the themselves. Well, 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 Pull you up just on that, just very briefly on one issue about this, because there's the whole question of just to what extent are the police involved. Um, the the Santelmo Barra who was caught the, the following day. Um, there was, they did not follow protocol when they arrested him, so the the the, the, um, the charges cannot be brought to taken to trial. Very convenient. 
Well, it's, yeah. it's a coincidence. And there's a brilliant book on the Barabrava and Boca by Gustavo Gravia, who's mm. the main journalist covering this issue. And he, in, in this book, he says, you know, when it comes to the Barabrava, there are no coincidences. But, as I said, the Santelmo Barra, whose name escapes me, Richard. Uh, uh, sorry, yes, Richard, exactly. Richard. Mm. Um, there, was, there were no civil no, 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 no witnesses, and this is what you need for any yeah. any um, raid, as is the one they did. So, so they can't press charges. Coincidence or not? Yeah. Um, I'm going to play a very short bit of music now, and then when we come back, we're going to be talking about some rather happier news in the world of Argentine football. As Joel said, um, the biggest story off the pitch certainly of, of the weekend I think in my opinion possibly the uh, the biggest story in Argentine football so far this century um, I'm being serious um, we'll, in, in many many ways but we'll, Messi we'll be back born. in a second Messi being born? <laughs> I don't know how old you think he is Sarah but that wasn't this century <laughs> Sorry, just let me clarify. I thought you were counting a hundred years from now backwards. Yeah. No, no, no. In, in, in the, the, the twenty-first century, is, okay. is what I meant. Um, and the, these two know exactly what I'm talking about already. On it was Thursday night, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Thursday night, the legislature of the city of Buenos Aires passed a law. Um, I saw some some people on Twitter claiming it was 49 votes to zero and some saying it was 50 votes to zero, but whatever, it was passed unanimously. Um, called the Ley de la Restitución Histórica, the, the Law of Historical Restitution, um, which basically gives um, San Lorenzo de Almagro the right to buy back the uh, the ground that's currently owned by Carrefour, the French supermarket chain in Boedo, where the Gasometro, the legendary stadium of theirs, uh, stood until 1985 when it was sold, wasn't it? Um, it was sold before that. Though. Sorry, it was sold before that to the military government. Yeah, San Lorenzo leave before, before then. Yeah, uh, 80, no, 79, it might have been. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, this 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 vote when, when I say possibly the biggest story of the century so far in Argentine football, I'm not kidding, and not just in Argentine football because it, it also has a lot to do with how um, Argentina, which is a country that still bears a lot of the scars from the military dictatorship, which only ended nine uh, sorry nineteen twenty nine years ago. Um, it's another example of Argentina kind of coming to terms with that and, and doing something to put that very much in the past. We've just recently had um, had a lot of trials of former dictators of, of the, the the real biological um, sorry the the adopted parents of the disappeared children whose biological parents were were murdered by the regime and so on. And although this is you know some people are going to scoff and laugh and say oh it's football, we're in a country where football. Does mean <laughs> and, and is far more this, intimately entwined than that. To speak about this, I mean, I, I wrote a piece in Buenos Aires comes about this, and and on this whole dictatorship, history, memory, uh, sort of angle, uh, it's the first it's the first public appearance that the Madres de la Plaza de Mayo made 
it was at a, at a religious event that was held at the old, as it's called, the old gasometro. It was the first time that the, the mothers held up a, a ban, in, as I said, in a, in a public uh, public place. So it has that, that relevance as mm-hmm. well. Um, and, I mean, the story about it is incredible. I mean, the... The, the, the bats, then, yeah, just take us through the bats. Well, the, the, obviously you said it was, it was called the, the, the Wembley of Buenos Aires, um, very uh, classic uh, yeah. old stadium, it, but it was all wooden slats, which was kind of one of the problems that the, the, the then uh, mayor of Buenos Aires under the under the military dictatorship said was a problem, it was health and safety risk. The idea was to open up that area of the, on the south of Buenos Aires, so it was for the, for planning permission, they, um, they were forced to, to sell it. Um, there, there's one meeting between the... The, the mayor, who's Cacciatore, can't really call him mayor because it was de facto, but anyway, um, he, he met with the San Lorenzo president at the time with a gun on his desk mm. and said, uh, <clears throat> I know where your children go to school. At a time yeah. when people were going missing from the streets, it was very clear what the insinuation there was. So they were forced to sell, they had to sell, they sold the, the land for about a million dollars and via a number of, this is where Carrefour come in, they say oh, they didn't buy it till 85. Um, the San Lorenzo group of supporters will tell you that it's all that the sale went through a series of ghost companies, um, but essentially the, the land was then sold on by the dictatorship for eight million dollars. Uh, so obviously a huge amount of money made there um, yeah. for and in an area where the planning permission was not allowed any. There were no supermarkets or hypermarkets uh, permitted in that area, but obviously uh, Carry Four is now is now there. So um, so it's an amazing story that that it's come this far. It's been an incredible fight by the San Lorenzo supporters, which yeah. I think is, is, is you know, a wonderful story. It's great inspiration for other supporters. You can change things mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like this. But uh, if, um, if any of our listeners, and I guess our listeners are probably a demographic who are slightly more likely to have read it than most, um, have read Football in Sun and Shadow by Eduardo Galeano, there's one chapter in that uh, called... San Lorenzo fan himself. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, in Uruguay, but he's a San Lorenzo fan. Um, there's one chapter in that called Gol de San Felipe. Uh, San Filippo, sorry, and where he's he's walking, or one of his uh, friends who wrote him a letter for this book, and this letter's printed um, verbatim, is walking through the Carrefour in question with Jose San Filippo, who is one of the uh, still San Lorenzo's highest scorer of all time, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and San Filippo says to him all of a sudden, just stops walking and says, "This is the spot where I lobbed the ball over the Boca Juniors keeper in the in the Clasico in." you know, whatever, year in the 70s, and then goes on to reenact it in front of these astonished shoppers and full out, you know, completely screaming goal at the end and everything. Um, so if you've read that chapter, and if, if you liked it, then that's the exact story that we're talking about. And yeah, that's, there's, that's there's, also, there's also one short tale by Eduardo Sacheri, who's the writer who is, whose work inspired the secret in their eyes on their oh, it's secret in your eyes in your, in your eyes in, in their eyes in their eyes The Secreto de Sus Ojos Oscar uh, Academy Award winning film uh, from Argentina and this guy uh, writes a story about uh, you don't know what the, what's going on and it's a group of of uh, uh, adults, you know, grown-ups going inside a supermarket at night and, you know, there was all uh, intelligence involved and, and, and you know, preparation and until they actually get to one place uh, in between the the, the, the the bread and the cheese uh, gondolas how you call it, the, the well, the shelves, the, the shelves, yeah, yeah in, the, in the supermarket in the aisles, yeah. Yeah, and they and they scratch the surface somewhere or s- somehow, and they and they put a San Lorenzo shirt 
uh, <laughs> underneath. Or they take a San Lorenzo shirt that was there. Either I rem- I forgot the what happens uh, at the end, but it's a, it's a story about you know trying to maintain the the identity of the place. You know, like this belongs to San Lorenzo. It shouldn't. It should have never belonged to Carrefour. Uh, you know, it's, it was like them staking a claim on on on, on that on, on that land. And you know, as a, as a fan of a rival of San Lorenzo, I have to say I was thrilled to hear that they they are coming back to Boedo because I know how how many years went by and how many generations of San Lorenzo fans have wanted this this so much. First, it was their their um, their home. They 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 wanted a home uh, when I was uh, a, a child, and because they were playing at home at Vélez, they were playing at home at, at Huracán of all places. This is the, the bitter rivals. They were playing at home at Boca sometimes, Ferro, River Ferro. Yeah, they play at home in so many grounds, and they they were dying to get a chance of having a, their own ground, and they got it. But he, they had to build it somewhere else, mm. far from where mm. they actually wanted to be, yeah. uh, because they didn't have those land, the, the, that land. And of course, after and the stadium was built, then the Risha yeah. grew to, yeah. to the level it is now, which is that it's now one of the biggest um, slums in, in yeah. Latin America. Yeah. Um, so it was a very, it's incredibly proud moment for San Lorenzo when they when they built the Nuevo Gasometro in the mid 90s. And now they won out, and, and you can only understand this. Although because I've, I've heard, I, I might be mistaken, but I've heard that the plan is once the land's been bought, once the supermarket's been 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 demolished, and they've they're ready to start building, is to literally take the the Nuevo Gasometro throw apart and move it. Yeah, but they can they cannot do it on uh, on a whole because they. Uh, some parts are movable and the others are just they have right. to demolish or leave it there so they might have to build a new stadium from scratch which you know knowing the backing that San Lorenzo has yeah. the money is a massive problem yeah. it's 94 Wait. million pesos they need to find I'm going to stop yeah. you both now because we have a, a question or two about this so I'm going to play some music now and then we'll get on to listeners questions which are going to include a little bit more on the San Lorenzo story unfortunately before we do so um, Seba has, has to leave now so myself and Joel will answer your questions after this brief musical interlude but first of all uh, goodbye Seba ok thanks you know where I live uh, Seguro La Habana uh, <laughs> and uh, that's, that's the second time on this podcast that that phrase has been used oh uh, yeah it's, it's, a Diego, it's a Diego famous quote <laughs> when he invited Torresani to fight so I'll be waiting for you guys uh, thank you for coming <laughs> on and um, we'll see you again soon Seba week's Handel Pod is, is making history here because Seba unfortunately just had to kick us out of his office because um, he had to take his computer home. So we've relocated to uh, Mr. Richard's uh, flat in Nunez or Belgrano now. We've we we crossed the divide. We have crossed. We've crossed in one street into Nunez. Okay. Um, so the first ever Handel Pod that's being recorded not only in two different locations but in two different barrios of Buenos Aires. Um, I think this makes the 
fifth barrier that we've recorded in. No, sixth, because I'm forgetting <laughs> about Australian dance uh, places. Um, anyway, some of your questions. Let's get down to them. Um, Soul Twin Jeff asks uh, a question he sent in yesterday via Twitter. What is the best atmosphere that you've experienced in Argentina other than the Clásico? I'm assuming by the Clásico that he means the Super. Um, John, you've been to more Clásicos than I have. Uh, and indeed more Super Clásicos, so I'm going to let you answer this one first. All the Clásicos are uh, fantastic, and I think we've, we've talked about this before on, on Hand of Pod. I mean, the, everyone talks about the, the, the Rosario one as being really a, a, an amazing... Um, if not, but just have, because have of the pure been? violence. No, then this is the thing I have not because uh, Central went down. I missed the, the, I think the first year when I moved over, and then Central went down. Two thousand six, two thousand seven, uh-huh. maybe. Uh-huh. But but I mean, everyone says that's that's amazing. But on a, on a very sort of um, violent level, basically, it's 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 pretty full on um, because of the city just having two clubs uh, apart from the odd lower league team um, but all the Clásicos are great fun I, I went to a, an amazing one with Huracán against San Lorenzo which was played in Bombonera which was called off after about 15 minutes because of an amazing flash flood um, and, and that is the, the game which in part kind of set in motion the, the formation of, of Hurricane FC which is uh, the, course, the, yeah. the lower league London football club, uh, which uses the the Uracan, uh, badge name and, and have a very close relationship with with the uh, with Link. I went with a friend of a, he's, he's a friend of a friend it. of a friend. His mate came over, Henry uh, Henry May, and uh, yeah, as I said, he's uh, he kind of crosses the, the divide between Uracan and Hurricane. Um, Interestingly, you just pronounced it the English way when you, when you said the. Well, English the Hurricane FC is yeah. that's how that's they, yeah that's oh, how excellent. they say it. Of okay. um, and it was it was hilarious when they were all over and sort of some of them you know, screaming from the stands, you know, come on. Hurricane or Commonwealth again, you know, they weren't quite sure which uh, how, how to pronounce it. Uh, but that was that was an amazing game. As much for it was very again. The thing is that with the classicos, that quite often what what really uh, gets them going is is that it's basically the level of violence. And and this Uragan San Lorenzo match had been preceded by flags being stolen from. I think Uragan stole San Lorenzo flags. There was a murder. Um, mm. Between the two Barabaravas as well, so it was um, it was very tense. But I mean, it's, the, it's, the, it's one of the games you just you never you never ever forget. But as I said, all, all the classicos are, are great fun to be honest. Lanús Banfield, I haven't done that one yet. That's that's another one. Like that's that's going to be possibly another year or two before you get the chance as well with Banfield. Yeah, you're right. It really is isn't it? not fantastic in the in the uh, in La B this season. Uh, Adrian Bono asks, "What's a football?" I think he's joking. Uh, myself and the two Dans, when, Oz- when Ozzy Dan was still here, were on Adrian's radio show. If any of you listened to uh, to that one, God, six or seven months ago now, it must be at least. Um, Rupert Fryer says, and sorry, just to answer the question we've already had, in fact, about the atmosphere, the best atmosphere I've been to in Argentina was Argentinos versus Independiente, um, the penultimate round of the 2010 Torneo Clausura, when Argentinos went into stoppage time losing 3-2 and came out of stoppage time winning 4-3 and ended up winning the league the following the following week away to Huracan, funnily enough. Um, the entire place, I mean, Argentinos fans don't have perhaps the best reputation for making a noise and, and 
being getting behind the side, but the the stadium was as packed as did Diego Armando Maradona ever gets. Um, and the noise when the fourth goal went in was just—I mean, you were there as well, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, we were, we were in different plateaus. You're right. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, you're right. That was a great game. Great afternoon. Nice sunny uh, uh, summer afternoon. Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah, it was an incredible. As you said, it's, well, it's only, small it was round, summer, wasn't it? It was the end of the Klausura, so we're not getting into right, winter. Right. But it no, was—I right, was wearing was, t-shirt and shorts. It was yeah, that warm yeah. still. Um, um, no, you're right, and it's a small ground anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's only got three sides to, with with a with a stand at all, and at the best of times, there's, there's only well, it's very small attendance. But as yeah. you said, it was that was a great afternoon. And apart from the atmosphere as well, it remains the best match I've ever been to. I think just for the yeah. <laughs> the circumstances and the the drama at the end. Um, Rupert Fryer asks uh, Gerardo Martino said about Newell's that it felt like they missed something big at the weekend. Have they? I'm inclined to say yes. I think they're, they're lacking a, a goal scorer. And, uh, as we've said, it wasn't a problem initially. But after a while, the fact that they have nobody to lead the line, and there is a big difference between a 4-6-0 and maybe a 4-5-1, but, you know, an attack-style 4-5-1, 4-5-1-0, maybe, if you want to, <laughs> to put it like that. But Well, I was wondering if he meant... If he meant something within the team, or if he meant an opportunity, because I mean, mm. uh, I'm, I'm not sure which which he meant. But I mean, I mean, what you just said and what we spoke about beforehand is, is both uh, very true. You know, they've they've lacked goals. I mean, uh, but this doesn't take away from what they've achieved, which is uh, they've steered clear of relegation. They've and playing really good football. They they pass it. They don't just hoof it forward. Every, as and when they have to, they do. But you know, the the priority and the 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 game plan is not just to to hoof it up to to the big man up front, which is which is refreshing because that's what a number of see. I agree with do. that, but at the same time. I do think there's something to be said for just having somebody to stick it in the fucking net now and then. Well, sure, that's fine, but this goes back to the whole argument, which Ankel Kappa is one of the the main, uh, you know, uh, defenders of, which is that if you just hoof it forward, and it, goes, it, goes, it, goes straight, it goes straight onto the head of the defender, and you lose. I mean, what do you win from that? So, in t- I'm, I'm, in not, I'm not suggesting you playing it forward, but this is the thing that the Newells have played their way out of out of trouble. And that is what mm. you need to be taken out. You know, Absolutely, yeah. the and title race has fallen away, but they've done a magnificent job. Well, not not, not fallen away that far, yeah. I'd say, but they, exactly. they've fallen off. Fall. They have done a magnificent job, but at the same time, if they had somebody who was uh, Skoko is is clearly a good player. He's their it's, top scorer. He scored some fantastic goals, and he scored a lot of, of, yeah. of goals for them. Um, but he's he's not a sort of line leading striker, mm. like out and out forward. If they added that to the repertoire, they would have that bit more of an edge, and we'd but be talking rather than just avoiding relegation. We'd be talking about potential. But you'd be playing a completely different uh, tactical uh, scheme, in which and which would mean that Scotland wouldn't be in those kind of positions to to score. And this is the thing; I, I think it's very similar. A great shout! I can't remember who, who said it, so I'm just going to steal it um, as a replacement for Iguain. In the national team, I mean, he's a similar kind of player that everyone says. Oh, my Iguain is the reference point for Messi, for the short Messi and Aguero, and if Tevez is called up, you know, to, to run around at either side. But, but but you know, Iguain needs the line. That's absolute rubbish. I mean, Iguain is dynamic. He gets out wide. He yeah, crosses sure. just as much as anyone else does. Um, and he's not the the kind of uh, player who who just stands in the box and waits for crosses to, to head in. That's not his game at all. He's a little bit taller than, than Messi and and Aguero, but he's not that kind of player. And by the same token, Skoko is is a player who's a, Getting very versatile, he's comfortable in a lot of different areas in and around the box. Um, but I mean, he's just—he's just—he's powerful. All his goals are like just, you know net net bulges, hmm. and 
I mean, I think, I mean, maybe sure, he, maybe he could have done with a bit more support, but I don't know whether the profile of that support should have been, you know, big, muscly, no, number, sure, number nine. I'm just talking about a, a finisher who can. Have not put it. Newell's, as we've said many times, are not the highest scoring team in the league, but they create lots of chances, and that suggests that they have a bit of a problem putting the chances away. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think there's something to be said for him. Whilst obviously agreeing with with your assessment mm. that changing completely the dynamic of the forward line changes something. That's the thing. If you, if you suddenly perhaps, put, perhaps if you, we can ask if you whether put a poacher in the team. Yeah. Perhaps they're not going to make so many chances because precisely so, they're not going to get so many people forward. So, so maybe if we're talking about somebody who can play with a little bit of tiki taka, um, who can fit into the New Orleans team seamlessly, maybe we should be asking whether 13 years ago they should have held on to one of their young prospects rather than letting him <laughs> go on trial to River and then eventually move to, to Barcelona. Well, well, we we've been very political this this week about what we're starting off with the strike and 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 Saint-Lorenzo. And and the messy decision is, is as much a part of what was happening at Newell's at the time as anything yeah. else. It's not just oh, the club was struggling. The club was was run by Eduardo Lopez, who's uh, who. I mean, in, in Rosario they refer to him as a dictator. Mm. Uh, you know, they they finally managed to to, buy, to to get him out. But this was another man who 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 literally would meet with club employees who would who were claiming three months back pay. Uh, he would meet them with a gun on the on the, on the desk and with a bada brava behind him. So. You know, this this that is the situation which, and that is the the president under which Newell's didn't pay the money for Messi to have his treatment and to stay in in Rosario. So, um, you know, it, it's one everyone. Yeah, I think people speak very lightly about oh, you know, Newell's stupidly didn't pay Messi's yeah. uh, uh, treatment that he needed. Um, it, it's not that straightforward. Viva Formica asks, how important is San Lorenzo returning to Boedo? I saw we had a couple of questions about this. Um, I'll add in this, the second one now as well. Charles Reynolds, um, whose Twitter is the Sports Fox, asks, "What next for San Lorenzo? Do you think their move back to Boedo will be a smooth one?" That that last point is is one that I've wondered as well because, of course, Carrefour have put out this very seemingly sort of PR friendly um, statement since, first of all, as as we kind of hinted at earlier, um, emphasising that they didn't deal with the military dictatorship directly. Mm. They bought the the site in 1985, by which time democracy had returned to Argentina and all the rest of it. And they said, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll negotiate with San Lorenzo's fans, whilst at the same time making it very clear that they weren't going to settle for, you know, a pittance um, in return for the site. So, how big a story is it? Is it going to be? Well, yeah, a it's, it's a huge return? story, and it's been it's front page news in terms of sports press, of course. Here, um, answering Viva Formica's a brilliant, brilliant. Twitter handle um, answering that question we've already spoken about it a little bit but we didn't really touch on how difficult it's going to be I think it's going to be very hard uh, because obviously we're talking about an international uh, supermarket chain here that has a lot mm-hmm. of money uh, San Lorenzo have an enormous debt I don't have the figures to, to hand but, but it's I mean they've been on the verge of bankruptcy in the last sort of year year and a half and the money the amount of money they're talking about that it will need is 94 million pesos, which I believe is in the region of 10 million pounds, uh, mm. maybe a bit, bit more, probably about 12, 13. Yeah, around um, 13. Which, well, which, you know, these are problems. When, when we talk about Independiente's debt, River's debt, this money to, to buy, to pay for a stadium, when you compare it to the Premier League, exactly, to, it's absolutely to nothing. To in England, to Spain, to but, whatever, it sounds like 
it, it's nothing but yes. over here it's an enormous amount of money I mean you know member, you can become a member of a club for, for about 30 pesos a, a month which is what five pounds and that's that gives you a whole range of activities mm. you can go to games so the whole you know the prices that we're in, the income basically is, is, is far far smaller than than, than certainly I mean Britain in in, uh, in Spain or Italian you could even dream of so it, so that that's a major obstacle legally as well it's an issue nobody knows what's going to happen really with, with Carrefour and, and San Lorenzo but I mean I don't know if they're as optimistic as to put dates I mean I think they've said no, 2016 sure. right they, I believe yeah, uh, Lamin yeah. the president said 2016 to, to open the stadium but I, mean, I think which, which conveniently is going to be the assuming that San Lorenzo like most clubs run four year terms <laughs> the year that he's up for re-election as San Lorenzo president well but this is the other thing I don't I, I think him and Tinelli not, not that I'm suggesting that obviously everybody in the San Lorenzo family regardless of which presidential candidate you support <laughs> wants to move back to Boeta I don't think anybody wants to to stay in Bajo Flores is going to be no of course but Tinelli and, and Lamins had, had said that they would they were just in for for the short term that they mm. wouldn't be right. going again but it seems very unlikely that that's the case. I mean, um, especially with this development. I mean, this is as Seva was very eloquent about. You know, this is something that's been going for decades now, um, and and it's not just uh, indignation, but also something that's really quite painful. It's you know, it harks back, as you said quite rightly, to to the dictatorship and to you know some very very uh, very dark period in, in Argentine history. So it seems unlikely that Tinelli would would step away from from San Lorenzo at, at this moment. Sure. But, but it's a huge challenge to to sort out. Um, in case anybody else has any questions for on, on San Lorenzo in particular in the coming weeks, I should just mention that we're hoping. Fingers crossed we'll be able to get Mariano, our uh, sometime contributor and big San Lorenzo fan, uh, match-going member in fact, back on. It's more likely to be in the new year, but before we do, we'll try and give you some some notice in case anybody else wants to ask any questions about this to somebody who's much more in the know about it, let's say, than, than even, uh, even <laughs> than me and Joel. Um, somebody called Daniel Colasimone don't know who that is um, says Maradona Diego I assume is a devout Kirchnerista but at the same time a mortal enemy of Julio Grandona who is in bed with Christina so to speak my question is two parts first how do you think the great man would explain his apparently contradictory beliefs and secondly Grandona Christina Diego fuck one marry one kill one I just, I just can't I saw this earlier I can't even believe that you've, you've broadcast something just just Something that's so transparently trying to wind us up and hoping that Seb was going to be hoping that Seb was here, yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Um, to that, we can only say, uh, Mr. Colasimon, whoever you are, uh, go away. Uh, we're not going to answer it's, that. It's, it's pub chat, not, not pod chat. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, the, yeah, I mean, the, the Grandona Cristina Diego Trinity. The thing is, he believes that libel laws don't touch him now that he's in Australia. No, I think that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's out there in the in the wilds. Um, Ewan Marshall asks. We've kind of actually we, we've we've sort of touched on this already. But Newell's slump, exhaustion, lack of bottle, or are the opposition learning to ha- how to handle them? I would say, I'd, I'd say the first as much as anything. Yeah, I think. I think the last one's probably a decent shout that people yeah. Are, are yeah are starting to read them. They know what to expect from Newell's, but to an extent. But um, we, we mentioned it earlier on. You know, they've they're obviously. Mm. Struggling for a, couple of, a few different reasons, not just not just any I think, one. I think the Racing game a few weeks ago was kind of the watershed in that regard, which which we went to, didn't we? Without we Marion. did. We did. Um, uh, where, uh, as we kind of said afterwards, uh, both sides were pressing each other much higher up the pitch. Um, 
it was a nil-nil, but we all found, you know, being at the stadium at the time, we, we, we all found it fairly interesting. Um, just to see Argentine teams closing each other down so much was interesting as much as anything else. Nobody really had a lot of time on the ball, and it's almost as if that's, you know, people saw that, the rest of the league, and thought, that's caused Neil's problems, that, that's how we need to play against them. Um, Ed Mannion himself, now speak of the devil, asks, will you please discuss why Belgrano should have to play the rest of that Independiente game? Um... I'm going to jump in now because yesterday, uh, still without knowing what the score was in that regard, I was on my way down to the Racing match and just very quickly texted Seba um, whilst I was on the bus to ask what the Lanús final score had been because I hadn't caught the end of the game. Uh, so he told me and I then emailed, uh, just quickly texted him back and said, so that means Lanús are joint top and that Racing, if they win, they're going to go three points behind them, right? And Seba confirmed that and then said it's the same uh, Belgrano will also be three points behind if they win what's left of their match against Independiente. To which I said, oh, they're going to have to play that, slightly surprisingly. And Seba replied, of course, it's one of the big five who are not called Racing. There, no. There's not a big five club, though, that doesn't feel that the whole world is against them. No, I precisely. mean, River believed they were sent down. Boca uh, believed that everyone hates them. Um, which is true. You know, Racing, just they always have bad luck. Independent, exactly the same. San Lorenzo, they had, you know, I mean, I mean, they've all, and it's not just a big five. All clubs in Argentina are convinced there's a there's a conspiracy yeah. against them. I mean, I mean, we, as you said, it's strange that the game hasn't just been the points haven't been awarded to Belgrano, um, but I think they're extenuating circumstances. Yeah, and the ultimate reason is there's just complete lack of cohesion more than anything, isn't it, between what happens in this situation, even though it's happened so many times, sometimes. That's happened sometimes. Something where between, somewhere between the two has happened. Sometimes they play the rest of the match. Um, as much as anything, I would almost reverse that. I would almost say, why should Independiente have to play the rest of the Belgrano game? Because the way that those two sides are at the moment, Independiente are in danger of being humiliated in the second half of that. I would say, with Belgrano already having the lead, and they're undoubtedly the better team right now at this moment in time. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, Billy McGann asks, how are Tagliafico and Araujo getting on in Spain? Oh, good question. Um, I, I mean, they both went to. I mean, uh, so Fico went to Murcia, which uh, is with Barcelona B. Barcelona B. I mean, we don't get Barcelona B games over here, unfortunately. Yeah, and mm. I mean, t- I mean, I think the thing to say. I've seen too many Murcia games myself. The, the thing to say, but if, well, no, no. I mean, Murcia second division, right? I mean, they don't think they. Um, the, the point is that when players are doing well. When Argentine players are doing yeah. well wherever they're playing, it's news. It. Yeah. yeah, it really is. I mean, when Cavanaghi scored in the first two goal, first two games, I should say for uh, for Villarreal in the second division in Spain, it was news here. Mm. Of course, it's River, but 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 nonetheless, it, it's always big news. And certainly in the case of Araujo and Tagliafico, uh, that hasn't been the case. What I would say is that hopefully Araujo is is under the direction of a a strong coach. Um, and a coach who's got very good man management <laughs> skills because no, I, I don't mean this in uh, you know have we heard about him giving any training ground tips to Lionel Messi on how to well take on I the mean there, there is just I mean Claudio Borghi uh, you know gave an in, in, in an interview said this about Araujo and he said you know there, there's just the, the day when he said to him look it's up to you if you want to make it mm. because he's got all the talent um, but he just wasn't dedicated enough in, in training and, and so that was Borghi basically laid it on the line to him um so, as I said, I don't, I don't know how he's taken that on board. Tagliafico, uh, I hope he's doing well for 
as much as for him, I think he's good ta- real talent, but as also for the national team, they, it's, yeah, it's a position sure. that you know if he can get some good experience in the Spanish second division and then move on uh, to obviously a top flight club, um, you know in a year's time there's no reason why he shouldn't be a left back for for the national team because he's youth team uh, Argentine youth team player did very well against Neymar, which is why there was the whole talk about Barcelona in the first place, and he's got a lot of talent, so so hopefully he's doing all right. Absolutely. Uh, Shivam Manga- Mangnani, I apologise Shivam if I've just mangled your surname, um, says, if you could recommend one striker that Chelsea should sign from Argentina, who would it be? I then responded to him, just Chelsea, and he said, well, we don't have a striker at the moment. Um, Joel, as a, a one-time, <laughs> possibly current, I'm never quite sure, Chelsea fan, um, I'm going to put that straight to you. Uh, First of all, I really severely hope that Fernando Torres doesn't listen to this podcast because I'm sure he'll be deeply hurt if he does. No, he's. Um, I mean, obviously, coming just after the three 0 defeat to to Juventus. I mean, obviously, Chelsea needs top quality striker. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I'm assuming this is Argentine based, right? So we can't say oh, Messi. We can't so, say yeah. Messi. Um, no, I mean, there, there's no player in Argentina ready to go to. The Premier League and do. I was do half well hoping you were about to say there's no player in Argentina who wouldn't improve Chelsea's forward line. <laughs> no, this, it's just it's just not the case. And 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 actually, one of the players who is being linked with Chelsea, who's who's has a very strong strong past in in Argentina, is a perfect example of this. Is Radamel Falcao. Mm. He's a player who went to Portugal first, did very well there, of course, has done extremely, continues to do exceptionally well at, at Atletico Madrid, and now he's been. Talks about going to the Premier League. I'm, I'm really not saying that the Premier League is that far ahead of of Portugal and Spain, but it's a huge step for, uh, up. I mean, Bocelli yeah. did well in in Argentina and did nothing in in the Premier League. Um, I mean, Forlan didn't score for eight months for Manchester United, but he went on to be European Golden Boot. Yeah. So it's, I, it's just I, I a huge sincerely, step up. I, I think Falcao is is uh, a level above. Certainly, at least one level above Maro Bocelli. Um, no, no, of course, of course. What, I'm, what I mean is the it's just the jump straight up. Yeah, you know? so, sure. to, so to say a player in Argentina who could go, I mean, Play, playing for Spain's third or fourth biggest side is not quite the same as playing for a team in the English capital. Uh, whether we call Chelsea the third or fourth biggest biggest club in England, historically speaking, is another matter. But the no, media they're, attention they're not even that. They're not even that. The, the media story, attention that he'll get is is, is incredible. Um, the standard, obviously, the standard as, as somebody as a River fan and therefore very much as a Falcao fan, but also as a Manchester United fan and therefore very much a, not a fan of Chelsea. I sincerely hope he doesn't go because it was bad enough watching him play for Porto, who I don't particularly like. But if he started scoring all those wonderful goals for for Chelsea, I, I think I'd break down in tears every single weekend. Um, I mean, uh, just quickly on this, Chelsea did buy a young Argentine striker, actually from Chile. It was an Aldax, but. Um, but he had to be at, at, at Chelsea for a number of years, then leave the club, and have a number of years, then a couple of years more in 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 the first team in a less lower lower profile club to to get a call up for Argentina. Of course, Franco De Sando. It's just a huge step up, and and I mean Oscar has done it this season, uh, mm. but but the level in Brazil is is totally different to Argentina. So yeah. so the. the uh, the long answer to that is uh, there's, there's no striker ready to go to Chelsea and also that, that there's no way entirely of knowing for sure until it actually happens and then you find out how the deal's going to go you can have a player you know as you say you can have a player who's tearing the shit out of this league and goes to England or Spain and does nothing it does work the other way around from time to time as yeah, well and, you know, and a player and looks thoroughly Claudio Shakov when he was here was clearly a talented midfielder 
but had barely played for Racing in almost a year before he signed for West Brom and he's been fantastic for them in in the vast majority of his matches so and they're, they're in the Champions League spot right now I mean, he's incredible so, yeah. and actually just beat, beat Chelsea the weekend but I mean I would say that I'd say any club should, should if they've if they can uh, get Vieto or Centurion mm. both real talents um, I mean all kinds of clubs have been linked with them but and you might make the definitely... fans on this podcast slightly less annoying to deal with every week as well with how they're gonna <laughs> but, but I mean they're you know they're, they're two real talents but and there are the, there, there is the old player here and there but but um, again it just it's, it's such a step up that it's I think it's very difficult to make um, Igor Stanislav has a, a fantastic question um how do you see Tigres' chances of winning the Copa Sudamericana and why they're performing so poorly in the league? A big part of that question is going to be answered on Thursday, I think, because Mion Arios, who are their Copa Sudamericana final, uh, semi-final opponents, um, in my opinion, at least from, from the admittedly fairly little I've seen, but I have seen a few of their Sudamericana matches, are going to be a step up from the sides that, that Tigre have had to play so far. The other huge difference in the dynamic of this tie... Um, is that Tigre have the first leg at home and so far they've played all of their, their first legs away but the really bizarre thing which I was talking to uh, Paul Serra's um, football commentator Wanchope Dikov last week about on Twitter is not just the disparity between Tigre's league and Copa Sudamericana form but the goal scoring they've, they've really struggled for goals just full stop in the league they've created against Arsenal a couple of weeks ago they crea- a couple of rounds ago sorry they created 10 chances didn't score a single one. Arsenal created three or four and won one nil. Um, when absolutely everybody agreed that Tigre were the better side. In the Copa Sudamericana, Tigre have played three home matches. They've scored four in every single one of those matches. In two cases, having lost the first leg in one of those cases in the quarter final fairly heavily, and then they come back and win it four, I think it was four one, mm-hmm. the second leg to, to qualify for their first ever semi final. It's. Uh, do they feel less pressure? Do they feel liberated by not having to play in the league? Or, or I mean, what is it? Well, I mean, why, why are they good in the competition? American and shit in the league. Well, they're making history, aren't they? I mean, this—it's a similar group of players. We all know that they lost loads of players: Ronald Martinez and, and Chino Luna and, and, and a number of others. You know, Chino Morales. Um, but last season they made history by going right down to the wire. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, they'd, they'd already done it a couple of years. Just a, just recently, but nonetheless, not in quite as dramatic a circumstance. Exactly, especially given that you know they were they were close to going down as well. So I mean, there's maybe that sense of it. They've got nothing to lose, hmm. and and maybe and, that and does... the other thing is, much as I say, shit in the league and good in the Sudamericana. As we've already mentioned, they've not actually been playing badly in the league. No. They've just been. I mean, can you really blame it on luck? Can you can you say they've just been unlucky in the league in front of goal? Does it come down to that, or does it come down to Argentine goalkeepers having something that Colombian and Paraguayan and Chile yeah. and Uruguayan goalkeepers don't have? Yeah, this far because into the season, it's. And the other thing is, you know, that their preliminary round was against Argentinos. They were playing another Argentine league side, and they beat them home and away. Yeah. It's impossible to say. I, I, my, my opinion with international tournaments, especially, is always that as soon as a side gets into the semi-final, they have a realistic chance of winning the winning the tournament. Any any team that reaches the semi. Is going to be a, a deserving or relatively deserving um, winner. So I'd certainly say that they have a chance of winning the Sudamericana. Of the four sides left in it, they'd arguably be the, the most surprising winners. The other semi final is. I'm trying to remember what it is now. Universidad Católica against San Paulo, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
so you know Tigre I would say are, are by a distance the, the smallest in inverted commas club left in the, in the competition I don't think even Tigre fans would argue with that statement um, but it's a bit of a mystery I mean it, it seems to as much as anything else we say the bad luck in front of goal in the league I, I, we've been struggling all season to work out why they still haven't won a match in, in the league um, final question of the evening is from Ed Malian again he says please make sure that you discuss the balance vote at River internal club politics ah. this, is the, this is the reason that people listen to Pot every week for this thrilling discussion yeah there's there's a big scandal at River Plate because they they closed their accounts for the for the year uh, with, in the meeting it was approved in the board meeting just last Thursday um they they had a 15 million peso deficit, which they bumped up to be a 15 million profit on the years uh, on the years accounts. And how did they um, do that, Joe? Was this through um, already received transfer income, for instance? Or? Well, this is the big scandal, isn't it? Because they said they've included uh, a concrete offer uh, from Napoli for Gabriel Funes Mori. There he is again. His name comes up so often on the pod. And, and this is, in fact, where they said that he's... Which I, I mentioned it earlier, that they, they said uh, that he's the player that, that European clubs have been most, most after. Um, in the board meeting, um, it was pretty tense, according to, according to reports. Um, and, yeah, they basically used this uh, transfer, which they say has been agreed by the club, but which the money hasn't come in for to... to to take them into a into a profit. I mean, the main issue here is just simply that uh, Passarella's Daniel Passarella, the River President, his main um, part of his campaign and 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 his, his presidency of River Plate has been about uh, sorting out the, the finances of the club. And he said that he was at least going to win the the economic championship. <laughs> so they can't be seen to be having a deficit. Uh, that's essentially what they've done. Um, the deficit is huge. I mean, the actual. Uh, maybe not the, the club, no, the club year, debt, but the, the club's club balance is something like 190 million pesos. I was reading. Uh, no, no, it's, it's it's more than that. It's like 200, yeah, it's 250 or so. Mm-hmm. It was 170 when Pasarela took over. That's what it's I was thinking, it's sorry, increased yeah. enormously, which is, which is a real problem. Um, it's River Plate politically. I don't know how much hot listeners are are into this kind of this this boardroom kind of business but I mean it, River Plate at the moment is, is an extremely difficult place um, and one of the things that a lot of, of River's fan groups in particular uh, complain about since Passarella came in I, I think really since the, the relegation season um, started under uh, sorry the relegation form started under Aguila is that um, uh, River don't have any representation at the AFA anymore they always used to have the kind of first vice president of the AFA would be a River director and now we have AFA vice presidents who are directors at Lanús, at, um, at, at Boca, San Lorenzo, and, and so on. And Rivers, yeah, sorry, Argentinos. Colón, Colón. Um, Rivers' position in the AFA has, has slipped enormously, and there are lots of, of River fans, particularly the more politically minded ones, who link that in with, with the club's poor form and, and just generally poor standing. So it is a story that. Okay, whether it actually reflects on on the pitch is is another matter, perhaps, but it's certainly perceived enormously perceived to to have to have a reflection on the pitch. Um, so yeah, we don't have any other questions um, to answer. Uh, we've had a few and a, a few pretty interesting ones actually this week as well. So yes, well we, done, good, good crop. Yeah, well, well done, listeners, for stepping up your game slightly. Um, <laughs> 
he says with tongue firmly in cheek. Uh, we hope that we've been able to to step up our own in, in answering those. And we shall now um, say goodbye. Next week's Hand of Pod is going to be the last one that I can absolutely 100% promise you for 2012. Um, we're hoping to get another couple in, but two weeks from right now, on Tuesday night, I'm going to be on a, an aeroplane. Well, actually, I think two weeks from right now, I'm going to be sitting on the tarmac at Rio de Janeiro Airport, uh, waiting to head on to Brother to in. Paris for my Brother summer in. or winter holiday, one of the two. It's Both. Anyway. I mean, look, you know, look at you go. I mean, it's going to be nice to get out. You can sell that to, to, to Mrs. Sam. In, you know, it's, look, I'm giving you a summer and winter holiday. I mean, what else do you want? Uh, the, the kindest thing I can possibly do for you, Joel, is not to tell her that you've just called her Mrs. Sam, um, <laughs> because she will hate you if you if you found that out. Um, if she found that out, sorry. Um, but yes, yeah, so we're, we're going to try and record uh, in two weeks' time, maybe on the Monday, the, the night before I fly, and I'll try and get it online. But certainly next week we'll be recording. We think the English Dan is going to be back in town, so we'll be up for hearing about his adventures in <laughs> with Atletico Tucumán or whatever he's been going to see while he's been on his holidays. Um, and we sh- we'll be back anyway uh, uh, next week. So we shall say goodbye for now um, from. Joel Richards Goodbye Thank you very much for joining us again From Sebastian Garcia Who sadly already can't be with us As we explained earlier And from myself uh, Goodbye